Thank you so much. Friends, if we have not met, I want to wish you good morning. It's good to be in God's presence together. My name is Adam, and uh, we are in the third week of a series called Set Sail. Uh, I wonder if anybody has had a similar experience as I have, that sometimes when you go to a restaurant, are you ever just overwhelmed at the amount of choices? Like, I'm very skeptical that one place can make 87 things well. Yeah, I, just, I just don't know if that's possible. Now, the one exception to this that I have found is the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> 20 pages of a menu. 20 pages, 250 items on the Cheesecake Factory menu. Now, it's the most maybe Missouri thing ever for me to think that the Cheesecake Factory is the pinnacle of culinary achievement, but <laughs> I kind of do. You know, we go there, me and Sarah will go there for an anniversary or something. So we, we make our way down to the plaza about once a year to go to the Cheesecake Factory. And have you ever heard of FOMO, fear of missing out? When I go to Cheesecake Factory, it's the opposite. I have like fear of regret that I'll order something new and I won't like it as much as my usual thing. So I just kind of stay in my lane because I don't need more stress in my life thinking about these 250 things. I don't want more choices. I make enough daily decisions, I don't want any more. So I just stick with the same thing. I think that life can be a little bit like that. There's just a lot of options. How do we decide where we're going to spend our time? There's so many things we could do. And that's a mark of, of uh, being in a pretty good situation in life, right? When you have meaningful choices you can make. Now, if you've got kids, that opens up exponentially more choices, because we have activities that our kids can spend a lot of time doing. I think, and research shows, the advent of the smartphone has, has changed a lot about our society and how we function. And the advent of mobile internet has put, an entertain, has put entertainment in our pockets. In 2007, there were three main streaming services. Not even two decades later, there's a lot more. Remember, remember the notion that you were going to cut the cord and save all this money and just stream? Well, we can all wave bye-bye to that, right? Just the options in streaming entertainment alone are multiplying exponentially. This is data from the Motion Picture Association of America. Between traditional networks like ABC, NBC, CBS, cable and satellite, and streaming services, in 2021, there were 1,826 series released. Have you ever had some version of a conversation? Hey, are you watching Film the Blank Show? No, never heard of it. That's because there's almost 2,000 shows. It's, it's, it's impossible to keep up with. And this isn't even counting sports, news, or, or things like YouTube or TikTok. Every hour, 30,000 new videos are uploaded on YouTube. So just in the time you'll be in this church service... There's 30,000 more videos just waiting for you when you get back home. Our menu of entertainment options is infinitely expanding. And just, just being a person, just a regular person, takes up a significant portion of time. We spend major percentages of our lives sleeping or working or going to school. And even if you're at home or you're retired, there's still plenty of work to do. And the people said... That's right, there's plenty to do at home. And then you add the percentage of your life you spend at the Liberty DMV, and you're, you're about out of time, right? That takes up a big chunk of your life. 
So we start, oh, 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 Jesus, don't let us applaud for the DMV. Uh, so in everybody's life, we have certain things we have to do. There's certain demands and requirements of life that we have to do. Those take up plenty of our time. But then how do we choose the things we get to do? The things that we opt into, the choices we make with our time that are more discretionary, the things we get to do. How do we choose what we spend our time on? That's what I aim to address today. And what I hope we'll discover as we study God's word together is that community is not a hobby, it's a habit. In the book of Hebrews, the author, who is unknown, is addressing a group of Christians, a community that's struggling to stay together. They faced persecution from the Romans, and they faced people choosing to spend their time on other things. Even in the first century, I think sometimes we think, oh, people were just bored thousands of years ago. Well, they still had plenty to do back then, too. The early Christians were under immense pressure, and we see the weight of their choices reflected in the intensity of the word choices in our scripture. So this is Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Again, the audience was under persecution from the Romans, and they were under pressure from their former fellow Jews who wanted them to still worship in the manner in which they were accustomed. The book of Hebrews has the most Old Testament references of any book in the New Testament. This was written to a former Jewish audience. And there were people trying to say, no, don't abandon what you've known since birth. And so all they had to hold on to was the hope that Jesus was who he said he was, that his promises would be true, and that he'd be faithful to those. Now, we may not be under persecution as Christians in 2022, certainly not to the point of death. But friends, the call of Christ will lead us to go against the grain in our culture. It just will. So it's an, it's a, we're going upstream in the culture, and there's a lot of obstacles that might keep us from, from holding unswervingly to our hope in Christ. You may have a lot of reasons to lose hope in the good news of Jesus. The first of which is that it's a ridiculous idea in the first place. I hope that's not disturbing to hear a, a preacher say, but on paper, this is a pretty tough case to make sometimes. That the Son of God came to be like us, that he lived briefly, died violently, and rose unexpectedly. At the heart of what we believe, what we recited as, as a creed, a statement of belief together, is that we believe in a divine being who was dead and then was not. Some people just can't get over that. That's a lot to take. So we'll have more on that later. Other times when we see Christians and pastors in particular behaving badly, it can give us good reason to be cynical about the church or the message of Jesus. Maybe you've had an experience where you've been hurt by the church. Maybe you've experienced so many hard things in life that belief in a loving God just seems beyond reach. We each probably have several good reasons to let our faith swerve, to go off course. But that's why it's called faith. And we believe that Jesus will be faithful to his promises, that he was who he said he was, and that he will come back 
as he said, and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. As many struggles as there are in keeping with the faith, part of the good news is is we don't have to do it in isolation. God has designed the church to be a community for us to do this together. We don't have to be on this faith journey alone. Verse 24 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now spur on might not be a phrase we use a lot, but when you look at the original language, a good synonym that's maybe something we might say more would be stir up. Get that person at the office that knows how to stir stuff up. Maybe you're like me and there's certain Twitter feeds or news shows you watch or whatever, but you ever have those things you watch just to get kind of stirred up a little bit? Am I the only one? All right, maybe. It's certainly none of your Facebook feeds that do that to me. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) What the author of Hebrews is conveying is the opposite of being stirred up just to get mad, but rather, put another way, a good question is, who could we surround ourselves with that would inspire us toward loving God and neighbor more? Who in our lives can help stir that up? I think this is a pretty good rationale for the church's existence, to help people hold fast to the faith in Christ and spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's a pretty good summation of what you'd say we do here. This concept is so important, the concept of of helping one another on this journey, that our scripture today concludes with an author, the author, challenging the audience to be faithful, not only in what they believe, but in their commitment to assembling together. Verse 25 says, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, it's interesting to give this message to a group of people who were so faithful to come to church on Labor Day. I mean, part of me just thought, we can just skip this. Good for y'all. So you clearly have something intuitive. You understand a lot of what the author is trying to tell us just by your being here. But life presents us with obstacles that get in the way of meeting together as Christians. And I don't think this is a new problem. Now, in our context, Sunday morning worship and, and gathering in groups, that's, that, that takes time. It takes commitment. We're going to talk about that um, more today. But obstacles to meeting together as Christians aren't new. Once again, the original audience had multiple forces applying pressure. The, the Roman government, who was suspicious of people gathering in groups, they worshipped Caesar, not Jesus, And you had religious pressure to continue observing sacrificial temple worship as former Jews. And so I think a key term in our scripture is encouraging one another. This is another reason for the church's existence, to encourage one another in love of God and neighbor. And that includes each other, obviously. Today we have many options on how to spend our time. Choosing to make community a priority can be hard. And so we need the encouragement. The author concludes verse 25 by saying that we should encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you notice that D was capitalized? What day are we talking about here? 
Are we talking about Labor Day? Are we talking about Fantasy Football Draft Day, which for some of us is today? Sarah was like, the red shoes again. I'm like, um, it's Fantasy Draft Day. What do you want me to do? The author was speaking of the day as a proper noun. The day of Christ's return when he fulfills his promise. And so to encourage all the more as you see the day approaching, to me, it's, it's a, testi- a testament to the fact that time is short. And that we, the way we prioritize our time is important because it's a limited resource. The day is approaching. Now in the Musto family, we have entered a new phase. And I've been waiting to preach on this for a long time because now we have two children in activities. Uh, ooh. Some of y'all have been living that crockpot life for a while. I mean, it's, you, can, you can barely get everybody fed. And so now I understand the struggle in a way that I had not before. Now I live it. And that's the struggle of the calendar and how quickly it fills up and how we prioritize things. Our daughter's in karate twice a week, and our son has done Carney Parks and Rec sports uh, for a little while now. And so I want to encourage, especially the parents, for a minute today. And now I can do that out of experience. I want to encourage us parents to continue to set the tone early while we can. Because until our children are in late adolescence, we're the ones with the car. I'm not trying to be silly. Our children's priorities will reflect where we take them. Because we're the ones with the car. Now, as they grow up and become adults, then we're all in the same boat. And we have a lot of options. And meeting in Christian community can become just one of many different activities on the calendar that you might take or leave. You may or may not attend. But my kids' activities will come and go. The yoga studio will come and go. Your interests may come and go. Flag football season for my son will come and go. Lots of the options we use our time on our hobbies. No, there's nothing wrong with having a hobby. I mentioned one of mine earlier. But community is not a hobby. It's a habit. It takes time and intentionality and commitment. It takes a lot to not give up the habit of meeting together. It takes work to encourage each other regularly, not just randomly. And in addition to meeting together to encourage each other, One of my favorite verses is Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. This is a picture of uh, me and a couple buddies at our ordination. So my buddy Steve is on the left, and my my great friend Michael, a mentor to me, uh, is in the center. He's currently a pastor in Springfield, but I worked for Mike for 10 years. I would not be here today if it weren't for Michael McIntyre. Uh, So Steve and I, my good buddy on the left, we were actually ordained uh, the same day. And his name, last name starts with an M. So we were back to back, baby. And then this is my friend Mark on that same day of ordination. Now, I don't know what I was thinking, putting myself up here in a robe or a suit coat. So don't, don't, you know, get your expectations up. (laughs) Okay. But... uh, I wanted you to see Mark and Steve because these are two of my dearest friends. And yeah, we're all pastors now, but 
we've been friends a long time before any of us were pastors. Uh, Steve, in fact, there's not a week where I don't call Mark and, and Steve. Steve, I call every week on Wednesday and I say, hey, here's what I'm thinking for the sermon. Is this dumb? <laughs> you know, we all have to have people in our lives that love us enough to tell us the truth. And so if you don't like what's going on in here, you can blame Steve. <laughs> but I, I talk to these two every week. It's not an exaggeration to say I do not know what I would do without, without my guys. So that was a great day of rejoicing, the day of ordination. That's a, um, it's an important word. It's a fancy word for when you've been um, commissioned by the church to be a pastor. That's what ordination means. Steve and Mark were also there on a day of mourning when my dad passed away. They drove a long way. And then the three of us have a mutual friend named Jimmy. And within seven days of my dad's passing, our friend Jimmy's dad passed. And so we all got together and trucked it over to St. Louis to mourn with our friend Jimmy. Who do you call when life hits the fan? Or the opposite. Who do you call when it's time to throw a party? I believe our church has to be a place where these types of bonds are built. People to rejoice with and people to mourn with and people to encourage you in your faith as you do the same for them. Our church has to be a place where these bonds are built. Not because we share a hobby like flag football, but that, that season comes and goes. We have to share these bonds because we're committed to spurring one another toward love and good deeds as a habit. This is what it means to be in real community. That's one of our church's values. In this series called Set Sail, we've been laying out the, the vision for our church, trying to answer the question, where is God taking us? You know, as we emerged from the pandemic, the feeling was, you know, it's, it's not that we need to right the ship. We've got several ingredients in place. But we do need to set the sail. And so I'd encourage you to check out the last two weeks of messages if you missed those because we've been trying to lay this out throughout these three weeks. I don't say this a lot. I really do think that the last two weeks along with this one are the most important messages I've ever tried to give. It's a vital part of our strategy to know, grow, and go that we help people, that we give them a path that we try and make it easy to be in community and to grow together. So our plan for adults is to foster these different types of groups. We're calling it group life. There's community groups, study groups, and support groups, and all these kind of can, can blur. But whatever the emphasis of the group, they all have the same purpose. A group to help each other rejoice and mourn and encourage one another to grow in faith. And so part of our kickoff that you heard about earlier was launching new groups. And so this fall, we have 20 that we're launching. And so I'd encourage you to go to carney.church slash group life, and you can see what's being offered. You can sign up. We also have pamphlets printed in the lobby. We'd love to get you more information. And friends, to do this well, it can't be a hobby. It has to be a habit. All of our options for entertainment, they're easy. It's on my schedule. 
It's based on my preferences, and there's always more things to watch. There'll always be more hobbies that we can pick and choose, and they'll come and go as you like. And what I realized in preparation for this message is when it comes to my spare time, the things that I get to decide what to do with my time, what I desire most is ease. It's ease. Like the shows I watch, there's no moral deliberation. Man, I don't want to think. That's why I get the same thing on the menu at Cheesecake Factory. I don't want to have to choose. I just want it to be easy. That's why I'm in a restaurant. I want someone to bring me my food. Because I do the cooking. Like, I, what I desire most deep down is ease. But what I need more than ease is to grow in community. And that's not easy because it takes effort. Uh, every semester for the current three years I've been a pastor here, Sarah and I have hosted a small group session for people at our home on Sunday nights. And I wanted to take you through that timeline just to provide a little realistic peek behind the curtain. 12.10 p.m., I get home from church, turn on the Chiefs game. Ease, hopefully, right? Just veg out. About 3.30, oh, okay, got the football game in. What else is going on? Then I remember people are coming over in an alarmingly short amount of time. <laughs> Panic ensues. Then from 3.32 to 5, Sarah and I are cleaning the house furiously because, God forbid, someone sees our recycling bin is 70% full, right? <laughs> and then in that process somewhere, the Roomba vacuum breaks down. And this device that we've bought to make our lives easier is requiring more maintenance and time than it would take to vacuum. Our children, for some reason, have named the robot vacuum Carly. And so we have what I call the cussing of the Carly. So that happens a few times in there. And then around 5 p.m., we're serving our two children something microwaved, right, just to kind of get them a little food down the hatch. And, and we're wondering, why did we decide to host? At 527, we're asking our kids to pick up the basement for the third time. And then we're cleaning up the kitchen after dinner. And at 556 p.m., we're sweeping up the last corner of the kitchen as the doorbell rings. They're here! And we fake a smile, and we open the door, and it's on. <laughs> then from 6 to 730, our group meets. And at 742... Sarah and I both sit down in the living room and we talk about how glad we are that we did all this and how important it is. Some version of this happens every week and I'm a pastor. Is anyone impressed that we would host a group at our house? No, it's my job. Who cares? It's worth it every time. Some of you have been in those groups and you're like, I didn't know they felt that way. <laughs> we did. See, I, at Labor Day, it's all on the table, baby, because this is, this is the hardcore people. Friends, it's worth it. Christian community is not a hobby. It's a habit. But it's worth it. So don't take it from me, a professional. Take it from what I would call a normal person, a non-pastor. These are my friends, Sarah and Corey. They've been with the same community group for some time, and I asked them to, to share what, what that experience has been like and what it meant to them. Here's what Sarah said. For me, I had no idea what to expect from small group. 
I didn't grow up in a church and was very nervous. I didn't know enough about the Bible. That's an obstacle we spent, could have spent a lot of time talking about. I'm going to try and not offer too much commentary here. These groups aren't for the experts, friends. To be honest, after our first meeting, I thought, this isn't for me, and I didn't want to go back. Corey really wanted to try again, so we did, and I'm so glad. The thing that really makes our small group so meaningful to me is how supportive we are of each other. People who I didn't think I ever really would have been more than surface acquaintances with helped me open my business, have been there for us, and totally accepted me for exactly who I am. They are just such good people who I will forever be blessed to call friends. Now, what Sarah didn't want me to mention to you was a particularly raunchy game of cards against humanity that they played together where they all laughed more than they ever had in their lives. So I'm not going to mention more about that. Uh, Corey said, I had never been part of a small group before and was a little trepidatious. Corey, I meant to give you a hard time for using the word trepidatious. We're all very impressed. (laughs) I'm going to have a hard time getting sermon input if I keep making fun of people. He said, the idea of having community with people I didn't know at all was also somewhat difficult to wrap my mind around. However, over the years, I've learned from and grown with this group of friends. They faithfully supported me in challenging times, celebrated with me in good times, and been a consistent source of fellowship. I'm so glad to be a part of this group. Friends, community is a habit, but it is worth it. It takes time and intentionality to rejoice together and mourn together and stir one another up toward love and good deeds, to encourage each other in the faith. And everybody said, amen.